Thank you for listening to the Sharon Church Podcast. If you'd like to know more about the church, please visit us at SharonChurch.com. Now we hope you learn from and enjoy today's message. Turn to John chapter 2. We've made it. We've made it to John chapter 2. Um, thrilled uh, to be continuing in John chapter 2. We have had uh, two weeks of Sharon 101, our uh, introductory classes to our church. People can come and learn more about our church. I don't want to embarrass you, but if you were in Sharon 101, would you stand? Would you mind to stand if you've been in Sharon 101 the past couple of weeks and we can just celebrate you? Thank you. Thank you. You can be seated. The Lord is doing a new thing. The Lord is, is raising up a people. And many years ago, Meredith and I were in Texas at her parents' house and went to church with them. And the pastor there had, I mean, it was old Baptist church. So they had the members come down and they filled out their cards and which is great and did all those things. But he, he made a statement, which was amazing. He just said, what happens when people join a church is that um, the Lord is bringing new members to that army in that community to push back darkness, essentially. So that's what we celebrate today. Not that we have more people, not that we have more numbers, but that God is building something uh, for his good and for light in a dark place. So just wanna uh, be, we're excited about that, excited for the families um, that are considering that. So I want you to see them as well. John chapter two, we're gonna continue our series called Epiphany. Epiphany just meaning revealing or manifestation, uh, particularly the revealing of Jesus as the Messiah. And we're doing so through the book of John. We looked at Matthew just to look at Jesus' temptation, but we're studying through, um, through the book of John and we're in John chapter two. Epiphany is, a, is an old liturgical church idea. So you come out of the season of Advent and then you'd study Epiphany, um, the revealing of Jesus, and it would culminate um, at Three Kings Day, 12 days after Jesus, when, when the, the wise men came to, to worship Jesus. But it continues. There's a few passages that old mainline churches would study along this way. And I don't want us to be locked into tradition in a way that um, paralyzes us. But I think there are things that we can draw from. This passage is one of those ancient texts that is meant to reveal Jesus. We're studying in John and in John chapter 20, the author of this book says that he wrote this book and chose these stories and this perspective that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so uh, like all of us, we all have a perspective, we all have an angle, we all have a bent. John's angle is that he wants us to read these 21 chapters to know that Jesus is the Messiah and no one else is. And so John chapter two, I believe, is the moment where John believes that Jesus is the Messiah. So this is his testimony. This is him saying, this is when I knew it to be true. So we'll study through the wedding at Cana, a story many of us are probably familiar with. Jesus turns water into wine. I won't be doing that this morning for those of you interested. Uh, uh, Jesus does that. So we'll study that here in a bit. Uh, I told you last week about our laundry room saga and then Landry in her room, laundry room and Landry's room and how Landry just, uh, we renovated one room, Landry de-renovated her room and just the stress uh, that caused me. So back it up a little bit just to give you, tell you a bit more as to why we were renovating that laundry room. It's a pass-through for a lot of our friends and family when they come. It's right off of the driveway. So we wanted to make it look like uh, we're clean people. And so we wanted to organize and, and shift some things around and um, it begins, the story begins like this, and maybe you can relate to this. Meredith says to me, hey, Jer, um, I saw on Pinterest. <laughs> you know where I'm going? 
We've all we've experienced that. Um, Cody, we've experienced, we've experienced that. Uh, so she says, hey, and it's beautiful, and she has an eye for that, and, it's, and she's actually probably better at I am at the remodeling. And so, but she just says, hey, can we move, can we just simply move the cabinets from this wall to this wall? And amen, amen, how simple that is, to just simply move cabinets. And I was like, yeah, we can do that. And so a week or so before that, so we I get in there and I'm taking screws out. I'm realizing, hey, these screws are coming out very easily. Uh, like it's, there's not a whole lot holding it up. And I take the left side down. There's two cabinets butt up together. And then I take the right side down. And I'm like, okay. So now they're down and it's the evening. And so we send Case enough to go take a shower in, in the bathroom upstairs. And as he is showering, um, apparently then the water now is showering our laundry room floor because instead of drilling into a stud, the previous homeowners had put the cabinets up on the drain pipe from the upstairs bathroom. So, hey, Jerry, I saw on Pinterest has now turned into, um, do, should we get animals two by two? How do we figure out how to get um, to safety? So the water's coming out and um, just through the gift of experience and, and counseling, I'm just laughing at it. Like not, when I'm not angry, I'm like, oh, what are you gonna do? Like, it's, okay, you know, we can, we can build a new house. Um, Friends have an RV. We could stay there. So we're just laughing. Case and, and Colton come in like, what is happening? Are we all going to die? And not today. And so then um, uh, I, I can do a number of things, but I'm not about to cut my wall open. Like, I don't, I don't want to do that. So we have a friend that we call, and he comes over. And um, four days later, he's done. And Meredith says, hey, Mr. Richard, would you mind to help Jeremy hang the cabinets on the other side? And I was like, well, hold on. I don't need Mr. Richard to help me. <laughs> yeah, would you mind to stay and just help me? Um, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna need your help. And so he helps. He shows me some tricks of the trade of how to hang these cabinets up. And while they were on the other side, we never put anything heavy in them. We didn't like, mean to, and I'm glad we never did because apparently they were just floating. They were floating cabinets. And so now we go to restock these cabinets and it's like, ah, I, don't, I don't know. Like, should we put the detergent in there? Um, should we put Landry in there? How do we, like, how do we... You get nervous, and so because Meredith and I um, participated in the renovation, right, we had a different perspective on the result, even to where, like, there's still times I'll walk in there and be like, man, this looks way different, and then people will come over and not recognize the thing that's different, which is totally fine. Um, wives, you know how it goes with your haircuts, and so that's, they just, they don't recognize, and it's fine, and then I, re- I said, did, did you, do you not realize how good I am at life? Because you did pass right through the laundry room and didn't even, <laughs> didn't even see the cabinets I moved, very simply. Um, but because we participated, we had a different perspective on the end result. Does that make sense to you? Because we participated, we had a different perspective on the result. So I want to read through John chapter two. Keep that idea in mind. We're going to come back around, pay attention to the servants and to the master of the wedding. Pay attention to these two uh, because they experienced something similar, but because their participation is different, Uh, their perspective is different. John chapter two, verse one. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. Don't get hung up on the third day thinking that that means something. This is how um, you would count days. Some of your translation would say three days later um, is essentially what that means. So if you're keeping track, going back through John chapter one, this is probably the seventh day of Jesus' ministry, like since the confrontation with John the Baptist and the scribes and lawyers. This might be the seventh day, which can be significant. I'm not um, totally sure about it. 
There was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, a small town of Cana in an area called Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus' mother's name is Mary. Mary was there. Um, we believe at this point, based on just some scholarship, that Joseph, the, mother of Jesus, the father of Jesus, had probably passed away at this point. Um, he was probably much older than Mary. And it seems as though Mary is leaning on Jesus as she would um, an oldest son should the husband pass away. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. So this is a Jewish wedding in Cana of Galilee, and Jewish weddings are different from our weddings. Um, uh, Jewish weddings are, would last at least seven days. There's a whole process of things that happen. And then years before that, with a, a dowry that was paid, and the, the bridegroom would go away for a season and build a house for his wife, and all kinds of biblical uh, uh, Symbolism, I think, for us as we study that. I just don't have time to get into it. But seven-day feast at the bridegroom's house. It's different in that the groom's family is responsible to pay for this reception. And the fathers of daughters said amen, as it should be. And so the groom and his family are paying for this. It's a seven-day just party. And like most um, Jewish festivals and parties, wine is central to it. Don't have time to get into a lot biblically as far as alcohol goes, but I'll, I'll say this. The Bible is not emphatic that we should not drink alcohol. The Bible is emphatic that we should not get drunk on alcohol. The Bible is also clear in that just because all things are lawful does not mean that all things are expedient. Um, so just because you can doesn't mean you should. However, biblically, there is freedom. There is freedom in following Jesus Christ. But in the very same way, if you are prone to addiction or have a history of alcoholism in your family, it's not wise to participate. In the same way that uh, social media stirs up things in me that aren't glorifying to God, I can't participate in that. I'm not saying you shouldn't. I'm just saying I can't. And so biblically, uh, Jesus, this, this is wine. Like, I know you want me to say it's grape juice. Um, it's wine. Same alcohol content as we have today? Probably not but still uh, fermented grapes. So a few things. Um, students, college students, if you're not 21 yet, I don't want to hear the conversation. You cannot drink alcohol. Well, you just said there was freedom. There is. And you are free to go to jail. <laughs> but you may not have alcohol. Um, Grown-ups, again, this is a personal conviction for you. Be wise and discerning in that. Be wise and and discerning, but um, this, is, this is alcohol, and I'm gonna show you why I believe that to be true as we move through this. So seven-day wedding, uh, wine is key to it. Um, the groom's family is paying for it, and the whole symbolism that's happening here, and the reason why a wedding mattered so much to Jews is because in the Old Testament and the New Testament, particularly in the Old Testament, when they spoke of the Messiah coming, they would speak of a wedding. They would speak of it in that way. Also, weddings were the way they were highly religious. They weren't civil. They were religious. So a number of religious things are happening around it. Also, um, the groom is proving his ability to love and care for his bride in the ceremony. So you're going to see here that the wine has run out. And the reason why you don't want wine to run out is because symbolically it would prove to the bride and her family that the groom can't cut it. He didn't plan well or doesn't have enough money to pay for you. Wine is symbolic of joy in the Old Testament. To a Jew, it's symbolic of joy. 
And so what would be communicated is, hey, it's just not gonna be joyful after a few days. So highly symbolic, this is a huge event that's happening in a small town um, of Cana, this wedding. So he's invited, the more the merrier, they would invite people from all over the place. Now, when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Somehow Mary has a role in this wedding. Somehow she might be responsible for the servants or she's just helping to coordinate it, but she has some, some leverage here. And she comes to Jesus and says, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And before 15-year-old boys start referring to their mama as woman, I need to handle this. Um, Jesus can, you can't. Also, uh, we read this in our context, so it's a little bit different for us. Um, it would, it's a term of endearment, and it would be like, hey, dear woman, or dear sister. But notice, he doesn't call her mom, doesn't call her mama, doesn't call her mommy, because he's 30, and that's, you should not. Uh, but he, he says, dear woman, to her. But notice, he's making a distinction here that um, he no longer refers to her as the mother. So he's no longer Mary's son. Remember, because he is God's son in whom I am well pleased. Remember that from his baptism? So he's making a distinction that no longer do I do, do the will of my mother who is on earth. I do the will of my father who is in heaven. And so when Mary comes to Jesus saying, hey, my son, fix this problem. Jesus' response is, dear woman, that, that's shifted now. I'm, I'm gonna have to see what my father in heaven, what God would have me to do. Does that make sense? So he's making a, a distinction. Woman, what does this have to do with, with me? Another way to translate that would be, what does this have to do with the both of us? Like, wh why are we involved in this? This is, it's not our wedding. And he's also saying, hey, this is, this is not a conversation for you and me to be having. If there's an issue, I'll consult with my Father who is in heaven. Because he says, my hour has not yet come. Whenever Jesus refers to his hour in the book of John, he's speaking of his crucifixion. Uh, the only two times John mentions the mother of, of Jesus, Mary is here in John 2 and then at the crucifixion of Jesus. And it's interesting that Jesus refers to Mary as woman in both of those instances. He has left his mother and father is now cleaving to his new ministry. My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you, which I always took as like kind of passive aggressive mothering, you know, like fine, do whatever he says. He's not listening. Uh, but I think what she's actually saying is, okay, if he's gonna hear from the father, then just do whatever he says. So do whatever he tells you, she tells the servants. Verse six. There were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. We'll get to that in a second. Verse seven, he, Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. They filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. Uh, the wedding, you would pay kind of a wedding coordinator, but someone who, was, who ran the seven-day festival. And so everything had to be passed through them. This was the master of the feast. It was probably his job. And they took it to him, verse nine, and when the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, pay attention to this phrase, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. Again, the groom is the one paying for this. He calls him to him. He tastes the new wine and the groom comes trembling, knowing they've run out. 
And he says to him, everyone serves the good wine first. But when people have drunk freely, some of your translations say when they are intoxicated or when they are drunk. Again, we're late in the week. Uh, They've been drinking wine all day. It doesn't matter the alcohol content. It probably has contributed to some kind of intoxication. And that was the point. Give him the good wine, maybe the higher proof wine first. And that way you can just you can just give them like juice boxes after that and just pour it into a wine glass and they'll think they're drinking um, wine. But he says, um, but you have kept the good wine until now. That's not common practice. Uh, Jesus has saved the day. Um, really, I mean, for this family, he saved their reputation and actually elevated it. Verse 11, this, the first of his signs, John will call these signs because it's the revealing through a miracle. Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. Circle that, underline it, highlight it, manifested his glory. Uh, The word for manifest is where we get the word epiphany. Um, He revealed his glory. And the Greek word is doxa. He revealed his significance. He revealed his weight. He revealed his authority. He revealed his presence here at the wedding in Cana, verse 11, and his disciples believed in him. I believe this is John's testimony. I think it's at this moment that John took his advice from John chapter 20 and said, oh, this is written that you might believe. I believed here, and I want you to believe here too. This is when I knew that he was who he says he is. He had followed him for a few days. He was like, this this is when I believed, I was persuaded that he was who he says he was. So if you're like me, the question I have is if this is Jesus' first miracle, I feel like he really put the bar pretty low uh, because he does way cooler things than this. I mean, he, he raises a guy from the dead. I'm going to lead with that one. Like, that's where I'm, I'm going to lead. In a job interview, I'm going to lead with that one, not the water to wine. Uh, a politician would step on and have a platform they're running on. They're going to give you, from the, from the get-go, the thing they're lying to you about running for. They're going to start, no offense. They're going to start with, um, these are the policies. This is what I'm about, right? That's what they're going to start with. Jesus is saying, when my ministry begins, this is who I am. This is what my ministry is about. Well, he's connecting old Jewish uh, prophecies about a wedding. He's there. He's using old Jewish purification uh, jars to then transform them into something for the new covenant. I read one commentator who said this. The ministry of Jesus is about everlasting joy before it's ever about healing a leper. The problem we have as Christians is that we don't joy enough in the Lord. And Jesus is saying, hey, if you want to know what I'm about, I'm about a really good party. And I'm about joy not running out. So Jesus, this is how he begins his, his ministry. So just a few things to give us some, some substance uh, behind it. Remember I told you John is trying to lay the new covenant, the New Testament, Jesus, on top of the old covenant, particularly um, the liberation of the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. Do you remember the 10 plagues and that one of the plagues, Moses turned water into blood. The Nile River was turned into blood. Blood, Jewish, would have been symbolic for death. Also would have been symbolic of the law and sacrifices. Moses turned water into blood. Jesus turns water into wine. And for a Jew, wine meant joy and it it meant life, zoe, life everlasting. Jesus, the writer of Hebrews says, is the better Moses. So here he's pushing forward. Hey, remember that. I'm going to do you better. 
And throughout the New Testament, whenever Jesus talks about wine, he says it at the Passover, right? This cup is my blood poured out for you for the remission or the covering of your sins. Jesus is making a huge declarative statement. If you have time this week, read Isaiah 25. The prophet Isaiah is speaking of the coming of the Messiah and saying that he will swallow up death and in its place will give us a feast, a festival of the best food and the best aged wine. So this is what Jesus is actually about. Maybe not the way that we would have written it, but it is what Jesus is about. Let's go back through the passage, then I wanna highlight just a few verses. On the third day, or three days later, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus, Mary, was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples, and when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Huge moral faux pas, societal faux pas. If, if this happens, they will never recover from this. All she says is they have no wine, and Jesus said to her, woman, dear woman, this has nothing to do with you and me. My hour has not yet come. And the mother says to his servants, do whatever he tells you. Verse six, there were six stone water jars. Uh, six, I'm not sure where I land. Like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna build theology on this, but um, the Jews have a lot of um, association with numbers and they would say six, which would have been the sixth day of creation on which man and woman were created. Six represents mankind or what we can do in the flesh. So that's the point some would say that, that Jesus is making and why John says there are six is because they've gone as far as they can, humanly speaking. But these jars are for the Jewish rites of purification. Uh, the old Jewish law would have said that you had to be purified before you participated in a meal or a festival or a feast and a wedding party, particularly the, the bride and groom, would have undergone a purification ceremony as part of the wedding ceremony. They would have purified them before stepping into this covenant uh, with one another. So there would have been six of them there, and they each held 20 or 30 gallons. So we're looking at 120 to 180 gallons of what would have been water for purification. The water they would have used for purification had to come from running water. It couldn't be still water from a well or a lake. It had to be from a river or a spring. And some Jewish commentators and some rabbis would have called that living water which those of you taking notes would matter then when Jesus comes and says, no, 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 I'm the living water. I'm the one who purifies. So Jesus is going to take the old covenant, old Jewish way of purification, their water, their jars, probably empty because they would have already done this. And he tells the servants, fill the jars with water and they filled them to the brim. And then he said, take some out and take it to the master of the feast. And so they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine. Jesus is taking the old covenant and he's saying, I can do better. I can take what you've given me in the jars. What was once used for purification in the water will be used for purification again, but it won't be filled with water. It'll be filled with the wine of my blood in the new covenant. Do you see what Jesus is doing? Like, do you see how significant this is? And we miss it in our culture, and we, we want the high, flashy, heal somebody, um, feed 5,000 people, and Jesus, I'm gonna start here. And it's almost in secret. There are very few people who know what happened. Uh, the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, although the ser servants who had drawn the water knew. And the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, 
when people have drunk freely and then you serve the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. And again, Jesus is saying, hey, what I have to offer is better than the law. It's better than the old covenant. It's a better way. It speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. This is what Jesus is saying. The first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and he manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. So Jesus reveals his glory at this wedding, which means he has made himself known. And the thing is, when Jesus manifests his glory, everyone takes note of it, but we take note of it differently based on our participation. When Jesus reveals his glory, when God makes himself known, our role, our, our um, participation is gonna shape some of that. So let me give you a phrase and then we'll go back through a few verses. Our role affects our reality. The role that we have affects how we see the world in reality. Um, in the very same way that with our laundry room, I have a different reality of that experience than someone who just comes over for the first time and sees it, right? Um, as a parent, I have a different reality of my kids than maybe coaches do and, and teachers do and, uh, and middle school pastors do. I, I have a different perspective. My role affects my reality. It affects what I see. It affects that. So keep that in mind. We're gonna look at the role of servants and the role of, of the master of the feast. Verse six, six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. 20 or 30 gallons uh, times six, again, 120, 180 gallons that Jesus just turned into wine. We're looking at 600 to 900 bottles of wine. Bottles on bottles on bottles of wine. I don't know what kind of weddings you've been to, but you haven't been to that wedding. So what's great about Jesus is that he doesn't just give us um, enough. He gives us more than enough. And you see that throughout all of his miracles. The law, um, the law was substantial to cover our sins for a season, but the grace of Jesus Christ is better than that. But these uh, jars would have weighed anywhere from 75 to 120 pounds made of, made of stone, like probably limestone because it, it would stay pure. So they're heavy, like you don't move them. Um, but to fill them with water, we're not talking about going out in the back and turning on the hose. I did student ministry for a number of years and um, students loved a good balloon fight, like water balloon fight. Filling up 500 water balloons was the worst month and a half of my life. Has anybody ever filled up water balloons before? It takes forever. And then within 30 seconds, they're all going, what? what? I did all that work. I thought you said you loved me. Um, so Jesus, uh, this is, these are these stone jars that would have had to be filled. Then verse seven, Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. Jesus said to the servants, hey, I saw on Pinterest that if you just fill these jars, it seems simple, right? Out of Jesus' mouth is, fill the jars with water. And the servants say, are you kidding me? Because that means I have to carry these jars a quarter of a mile into town where the only source of water is. Like, I gotta go to the well. And then once I get to the well, I've gotta put the bucket down and then draw the bucket out and then pour a gallon at a time into this. 180 times we have to do that and then carry the jars back. He says, fill the jars with water. 
So this is a miracle, right? This is a miracle, a sign that's going to happen. So I wanna point out a few things about the miracles of Jesus and then give us some application. The first is this, um, that every single miracle of Jesus begins with a call or a command from God, okay? Um, Every time the Lord performs a miracle, Jesus, God, initiates that miracle. So we're gonna talk through the participation of the servants, and don't mishear me in this. I am not saying the servants performed the miracle. They did not. Jesus could have done whatever he wanted to with the miracle, but it begins with a call or a command from Jesus. Think back through other miracles of Jesus. There's a man that he um, spits in the ground, makes mud, and then puts it on a blind man's eyes, and then he says, go, wash in the pool of Siloam. He gives him a command, and he has to go do something. There's a leper who comes to him, and Jesus says, stretch out your hand toward me. He gives a command and then a response. Um, feeding of the 5,000, right? He says to his disciples, go find what you can there. Raising Lazarus from the dead, Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. Every miracle begins with a command. It begins with an imperative. It begins with a call of Jesus. The miracle of your salvation is exactly the same. It began with a call from Jesus through the Holy Spirit. That's how it, miracles begin. So Jesus' command is fill the jars with water. And look what they do in verse uh, seven. They complained, saying how long it would take. They had a better idea. No, they filled them to the brim. Man, I love Jesus, but I might have tried to go with the halfway full kind of route. Like, I don't know, they just ran out. I don't know. To the brim. So miracles of Jesus begin with a call or a command from God, and then uh, the next step is an obedient response from man. Go wash in the pool of Siloam, and the man goes. Stretch out your hand, and the man does. Lazarus, come, come forth, and he does. Disciples, go find what you can, and they do. Now, could Jesus have just said, let there be wine? Absolutely. John even told us that he was at creation and all things were created by him. And in fact, nothing that had been created was not created through him. So Jesus could have very well just said, let there be wine. And there could have been. But he went a different route. And he invited man into the miracle. He invited them into participation. Go fill these jars with water. And so they did Verse eight, and he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. Miracles begin with the call or command of Jesus. They continue with the obedient response of mankind. And finally, they are exercised by the faith of people. Can you imagine the fear the servants had in that moment? Hey, um, draw this well water out and go give it to the guy in charge of this whole party. What's at stake but they took it in verse eight. In verse nine, when the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine, he did not know where it came from. But the servants who had drawn the water, they knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. When people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. Same experience, wine has run out. Now there's wine in these jars and it's really good wine. You've got the master of the feast and you've got the servants. The master celebrated the moment while the servants celebrated the miracle. The master was blown away at what just happened, but he has no idea a miracle happened. 
He just knows this wine is amazing. Which let me just say this to you also. You know, wine would have taken decades to make really good, like years and years to make it really just the right fermentation and and aeration. It would have taken years to do that. Jesus performs a miracle. And let me say, when Jesus performs a miracle, he never sacrifices quality. For many of us, um, we're okay. When we say that um, we're we're trusting in God's timing, what that means is I'll wait as long as it takes. But the most shocking thing God does is that he responds quicker than we are ready for him to. And many of us, we have a hard time accepting that. Well, sometimes Jesus can make wine in an hour. And it's the best wine you've ever had. Sometimes God can redeem and restore a relationship in a week. And sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes uh, God brings um, healing to a situation overnight. And sometimes he doesn't. Never discount the quick miracle of God because you think it has to take longer than it has. So it's the best wine. The master celebrates the moment. I can't believe how good this wine is. This is the best. I can't believe you did this. I'm so glad to be a part of this wedding. I can't believe this happened. And the servants are celebrating the miracle. I love that phrase in verse nine. But the servants who drew the water knew. It's like they know something that he doesn't quite know. There's a theological term called common grace. It's the idea that you don't have to be a Christian to enjoy the things of God. You don't have to be a Christian to enjoy a really, um, a really good steak. You don't. You don't have to be um, a Christian to enjoy a marriage, to enjoy um, intimacy with your spouse, to enjoy good music, to enjoy laughter. You don't have to be a Christian to enjoy life. Do you have friends who aren't Christians who actually enjoy life more than you do? That's sad, but they do, right? You don't have to be a Christian to enjoy a really intense playoff game. You can, this is common grace. You don't have to be a Christian to enjoy the sunset or the sunrise. It's common to everyone. The master at the feast is enjoying the common grace of this wine. It's a miracle that Jesus performed, but this man has no idea that Jesus did it, did it but it doesn't make the wine taste any less good. Does that make sense? It doesn't change that. But there's something that is different about the way that the servants are celebrating the miracle. For this master of the feast, that moment would fade and he would need another moment and then another moment and then another moment and then another moment. But there's something eternal about the miracle. Our excitement fizzles until the next one if we're just celebrating the moment. And here's my fear for us this morning. My fear is that many of us will experience the common grace of God even in a church service. But like Jacob, you would walk out and say, well, God must have been in this place and I didn't even know it. You can come to church and enjoy good participatory worship and music. You can even sing. You can have your heart like moved and shifted and want to become a better person and do better things and be entertained without knowing Jesus. But you're going to miss the presence of God the whole time. So let me give us just three statements and then we'll, we'll move forward into some application. First is this, our participation affects our perspective. You want to know why you feel like you've never seen a miracle? It's because you've never filled the jars. It's because you're not participating. And so we get cynical and we give up on God because I did this and you didn't. And God's saying, hey, I made the wine and these servants knew what was going on. 
I think many of us, Jesus would say, hey, fill these stone jars with water. And we would say, that makes zero sense. I'm not doing it. That's gonna take too much. I'm not doing it. That feels really mundane. I'm not doing it. My generation is the generation that um, as we became adults, we started thinking that we were gonna change the world. So we were gonna get rid of homelessness and we're gonna get rid of, of disease and we're gonna make everybody clean water in Africa. Like that's my generation. Um, how's, how's that going? Uh, but what happened in the midst of that is that we began to neglect the common work of filling up the water jars. And so uh, we chased high and mighty healings and we weren't willing to do the little mundane things that God had asked us to do. And so we would, um, we would drive through impoverished areas to get on a plane to fly to an impoverished area because I wasn't willing to sit next to a kid in the cafeteria who didn't have any friends. But I felt really good about myself. And I'm not saying either one of those are bad. I'm saying we should do all of it. Don't neglect one for the other. But our participation is going to affect our perspective. Second is that our participation affects our passion. You wanna know why you're burnt out? You wanna know why it's mundane to come to church? You wanna know why you just don't even care to, to be here or why you're only here because your mama made you come here because you called her woman and she said, no, you do not. You will go to church tomorrow. You wanna know why? It's because you're not participating. Um, students, participate. Like you will get so much more out of the ministry if you just participate. Every student ministry just needs one or two participatory leaders and the entire ministry shifts towards the glory of God and the good of others. And your youth pastor can't do it for you. Participate. Participate in worship. Sing the songs. Serve people. Participate. It affects your passion. You will begin to see how much you actually love this once you actually start doing it. Finally, our participation affects our praise. Do you see where the master of the feast gave his praise? To the bridegroom. Because common grace ends on itself. Common grace can't roll forward into praise to God. It doesn't because there's no acknowledgement of God. The praise of the master of the feast was like, oh man, bridegroom, this was amazing. And so he begins to elevate the bridegroom. But when we participate, instead of just experience, we begin to roll things forward. Man, that, that song was so good. Joel did a great job. Or that song was so good. God, I, you've stirred my affections for you today through that song. Does that make sense? When we participate, it affects who we praise and how we praise. I'm not saying we all have to jump around and, and raise our hands, but I am saying if you participate, your praise will be affected. So then what do we do? I think it's simple. I think we just fill the jars with water. And I know it's not sexy and I know it's not big and flashy, um, but this is the first miracle Jesus did and he makes a command and then these servants go when they do the work. I think maybe for some of us this morning the reason why we haven't experienced a miracle in our lives is because we're not filling the jars with water. Or we did a few gallons and then just realized this, this makes no connection. They're, the problem is wine, not water. I'm not gonna keep doing the water. I'm gonna go buy some wine. Well, you're missing the miracle. You're missing the miracle. And so parents, I want to encourage you in this. Like, keep filling the water jars of parenting. Keep investing in your children. Keep praying with them. Keep telling them about Jesus. 
I know it's hard, and I know you've cried yourself to sleep at night over it. Don't give up at the well. There's a miracle coming. If God has commanded you to do it, he'll take care of the results. You fill up the water jars. Keep praying, keep investing, keep telling them about Jesus, keep giving grace, keep, keep disciplining, keep on. Spouses, if your marriage is falling apart and you're just not sure you're gonna make it, I would keep filling the water jars. Pray for him. Pray for his soul. Beg for God to make himself known to her. Don't give up. Don't give up. There's a miracle coming if you just filled the water jars. Church-wise, it's the same thing for us. I think the reason why maybe we've lost passion and haven't seen a miracle is because our perspective has shifted. I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you, as a pastor here, would you participate here? Because God's performing miracles, and how sad for you to be here for 40 years and never witness the water turn to wine. Not because he hasn't done it, but because you've been too busy doing other things. Participate, give, serve, help, help four-year-olds memorize a Bible verse. Teach a second grader who Moses is. Step into student ministry, greet people out here. When you participate, it affects your perspective and your passion and your praise and darkness trembles at the miracle work of God. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes and I'll wrap us up. I think there are some of us here this morning who we've only tasted the common grace of God. It's like you knew something was missing, but you didn't know exactly. And so the sunrise is beautiful and steak tastes amazing when it's not cooked higher than medium well. And so you, you love it. But you have no one to give that praise to when it's, there's a vacancy in your heart. Anybody this morning who would say, yeah, I've, I've settled for common grace, but I want to follow Jesus. I want, I want to believe like the disciples did. I want to give my life to Jesus. Anybody would raise your hand and say, yeah, today, that's me. I want to follow Jesus. Praise the Lord. It's a simple prayer of confession that you are a sinner in need of a Savior then you believe that Jesus is that Savior. You tell them, yeah, you're the Savior. It's not me. Do you rescue me from my sin that you might have life everlasting? And you too then can experience this kind of grace. I think for many of us though, the issue is not that. The issue is that we haven't been participating and so we've missed some miracles. We've stopped filling up the water jars. So anyone this morning in confession and courage would raise your hand and say, yeah, would you pray for me? I need help I need help in the everyday. I need, I, I need to believe a miracle is coming. I need you to pray for me that I will be consistent in filling up the jars. Would you raise your hand? Just raise your hand. I wanna participate more in my marriage and my kids and in ministry. Praise the Lord. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the gift of your word uh, that uh, was so true thousands of years ago and has not lost any of its truth today that you are a miracle-working God who performs miracles by the sound of your voice. And in your grace, you've invited us into it that by our participation, our perspective and passion and praise might be affected. God, many of us have grown cynical and bitter about you. And we've wondered why you haven't come through. And what we're doing feels mundane. It feels like it doesn't matter. God, would you remind us today that it matters? Give us glimpses of hope. Give us uh, glimpses of wine in the jar. Give us uh, glimpses of restoration, God, in a way that would spur us forward. Uh, may we be a church of people who just fill up the jars. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. Let me give us just a few uh, church announcements before we're dismissed, and I'll give us a benediction. Laura, I'm not going to do the video again. Uh, if you can't prepare to give this morning, it's, it's a way to participate. It's a way to participate in the miracle work of God. Think back to the boy with the loaves and fish. You think he thought what he had to offer would have made a difference? And yet God multiplied it. So if you came prepared to give, you want to follow the commands in Scripture of, of obedient tithing, I would encourage you to, to do that for your good and for the good of the church. There are ways to give up here on the screen or you can give out in the hallway. Um, secondly, we have a marriage weekend coming up, February 2nd, 12th and 13th. I invite you to participate in that. Um, you can stop by over here at the table. Meredith will be here at this high top table, answer questions you have and get you signed up. You can go on our website, SharonChurch.com and sign up there as well. I think it's gonna be an amazing weekend. The Lord is already moving some things in that direction. I'm looking forward to it. So I wanna invite you to that. If you're engaged, come be a part of it. If you've been dating for a long time and your girlfriend thinks you should be engaged, you should come. You should come and sit with some men who have made the same mistake and we'll talk to you. And so um, come be a part of that. I'd uh, love for you to engage in that. And this Wednesday night, we start some new studies. It's another way for you to participate in the work and the ministry of God. A women's study that Meredith will be teaching. love for you to be a part of that. You can text women oh, uh, to 678-671-5440. A guy named Chris McGowan is leading an everyday theology course too. Just a way for us to understand some deep theology in a way that actually impacts us every day. So I encourage you to be a part of that. If you'll stand, I'll give us a benediction. If you're new here, you have questions about faith or about our church, you can stop by the gathering place. Jeff will be over here. Would love to speak with you. If you have children up in the preschool or elementary ministry, please get them. Um, we love your kids. But about two o'clock on a Sunday, we stop. And so you're gonna have to carry it from there. No, we love them, but please go do that. Relieve our, our volunteers up there. Tell them thank you. Thank you for being here this morning. Um, as you go, uh, church, may you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, may we be people who participate, not through effort, but in the grace upon grace upon grace of Jesus. Church, you are dismissed. We love you. Have a great week. <laughs>